Open your Bibles with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You know, when you look at our, our current uh, political climate, religious climate, uh, it, it seems like things can become hopeless. It seems like they can be hopeless. I saw a survey this morning that political opposition to religion has risen 86% since 2009. The attitudes, hostility towards religious people from the general public, according to Pew Research, has increased by 26% in the last three years. People who are saying that they don't think that religious people have a, should have a voice in society. How about that? And you look at that and you think about what's going on in the Middle East and you don't know whether you've got Al-Qaeda or Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula or whether you've got Sunnis or Salafists or Shias or whoever it is that's, they're all just trying to kill each other. What in the world is going on? Then you'll, then you'll have some, some religious guy like last year who's predicting the end of the world and you know, he just knows that, that Jesus Christ is going to return on this particular day and then it doesn't happen and it brings reproach on the cause of Christ. And You look at all those things that are happening. You look at the, the health care system or you look at anything that's going on in the news and it seems like everything is going wrong in the world. And then maybe at home. Maybe at home there's trouble or there's sickness or there's trouble at work and you look around you and you say, how in the world am I going to make it through this? What are we going to do? And so my message this morning is what to do when you don't know what to do. So look at Second Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to start reading in verse 1. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, the children of Moab... And the children of Ammon, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and who are these people? They are the descendants of the incestuous relationship that Lot had with his daughters. And so here, all these years later, that sin, that lack of faith that led to that sin is now causing problems for the people of God. Did you know that the decisions you make today can have repercussions that last for generations? It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. So these are the ones who are coming against the children of Judah. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea, and on the side of Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazan Tamar, which is Angedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court. So he gathers them. Here's what's going on. You have Judah, the nation of Judah. Remember, Judah and Israel are divided. Israel, the northern kingdom. Judah, the southern kingdom. And now the Ammonites and the Moabites are surrounding Judah, and they're going to destroy them. Judah, their military, is not strong enough to win this battle. You know, just as I was reading the text, I was thinking about an interview that I heard this week or last week about... Um, this book, Conversations with Jesus. How many of you have seen Conversations with Jesus in the Christian bookstores? And it all goes back, and, and they're, they're being, that, that information is being used in churches all over America. 
evangelical churches all over America, and it's all based in the occult. It's, it's horrible. And yet Christians are being deceived by all of this kind of thing. And you look at how all of this type of false doctrine is getting into the churches. And for me as a pastor, I look at that and say, what are we going to do, Lord? What are we going to do? Now look at what it says here. Verse 4. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. To ask help of the Lord. Uh, Alexander McLaren said, The helplessness is always a fact, though most of us manage to get along for the most part without discovering it. It's interesting. Here they have come up against a hopeless situation. They recognize that they can't win. They can't take care of it. And I want to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been in a hopeless situation? The thing that we don't realize is we're always in a hopeless situation. We must be completely dependent upon God, and yet sometimes it takes a hopeless situation to recognize that. It's interesting. Look at verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah. He's the king in Jerusalem, or of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court. So this is at the temple. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou not God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein. And have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now, behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say how they reward us to come, to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? Now look at what it says. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know there are people in this room right now who are at a place where they say, we don't know what to do. And Lord, as the world continues to degenerate, degenerate, prepare for your return. Lord, there's not a more important time for us to study this text and to see it. So Lord, help us to put it in its right context and then to Preach it in a way that will help your people and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I want you to understand is this is not a formula that if you follow this formula, everything's going to be okay. It's not an abracadabra shazam and the door opens and everything's okay. This is explaining how God delivered the nation of Israel, tribe of Judah. All right? This, this is explaining that. There's nothing in this text about how God is going to help a New Testament church overcome their enemy. This is about the nation of Judah and the children of Israel in their land who are being oppressed by the heathen and how God has chosen to deliver them based on His promises and the prayers of His people. Is that right? 
We've got to get that. How many of you remember the prayer of Jabez? Right? Remember the prayer of Jabez. Man, that guy made millions and millions. Wilkerson, what was his first name? Bruce. He made millions. He literally made millions of dollars on that, the prayer of Jabez. And then he went to Zambia, I think it was, and he prayed the prayer of Jabez over that country, and he lost everything. He lost everything. Why? Why? Because the prayer of Jabez was for Jabez. And it's so... And now, let me just back up a minute. I think Bruce Wilkins is a good man. He's written a lot of things that have helped a lot of people. He loves the Lord. He's saved. He's a brother in Christ. He's not a bad man. Amen? Not a bad man. He just took something out of the Old Testament and applied it to the New Testament that didn't have anything to do with the New Testament. So it's really important that we get that. This is not a step-by-step plan to see your life get better. It's something that God did. And when we look at how they reacted to their situation and where they turned, we can learn some very important things about our lives and how we can respond to trouble. The Bible says that God put these things in the Old Testament as in samples for us. They're samples of how God has dealt with people in the past so we can know how God will deal with us in the future. But remember, one of the most important keys to understanding your Bible is the distinction between Israel and the church. We are not Israel. We are the church. Right? And before the ultimate trouble comes, guess what's going to happen? We're out of here. You guys aren't nearly excited enough about that. Do we need to, is it too warm in here? Do we need to cool it off? How many of you went to Indianapolis last night? How many of you went to Indianapolis? Okay, wake up. Man, they went over and they lost in overtime, but they almost won and then they drove home. And I'm glad you're here. Now look, this is so important. This is so important. We are the church of God. One of these days there's going to be a shout and the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's the folks that made it back from Indianapolis right now. (laughs) Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, to be in the clouds and so shall we be with the Lord. And I butchered it, but you get the point. Okay, so the ultimate wrath of God and the trouble that's going to come, if you're saved, we're going to be delivered from that. The rapture is coming, and this beautiful ceiling is not going to stop us. The number one question I get from visiting pastors is not, how's your ministry? It's, why does the ceiling look like that? (laughs) Duct work. Now, we're going to be taken out of this place. Isn't that awesome? And yet, God gave us these Old Testament passages to learn who He is and how to interact with Him in this world and to learn lessons from the children of Israel, the children of Judah, as God delivered them from their enemies. So let's look at how He does some of His deliverance this morning. Number one, number one, the first thing that you need to do when you're in an impossible situation is to acknowledge who God is. Acknowledge who God is. Look at verse 6. And so this is Jehoshaphat's prayer and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest not thou over the kingdoms of the heathen and in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God 
who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever. The first thing that I want you to see, number one, acknowledge who God is. He's the God of history. He's the God of history. The Bible says that what we're supposed to do, according to Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God. Has God been with you? Has God delivered His people in the past? Has God always been faithful? He's the God of history. He brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He, he delivered them into their land. He drove their enemies out of the land. That's what the text says. You know what God has done for us here in America? He's given us a free nation. He's given us liberty. He's given us the opportunity to gather together and sit on hard chairs and worship the Lord. Amen? Except for about the back third. They're the spoiled people in the church today. <laughs> Amen. And then there's, there's Queen Kelly back there. She has, she has a throne. <laughs> but look, God has... He's delivered us. He's put us in a free nation. We can worship. We can vote. We can speak out. We can complain about the government. We can support the government. We can speak out about Christ anywhere that we want to. Praise the Lord. We live in a free nation. That's our history. That's our history. So even though we have, let's say that the Pew Research is true and that, that government regulation against religion has risen 86%, we can still speak the truth. The God of history and the people that fought for the liberty that we have here in America, we need to stand beside them today in their shoes, in their heritage, and say the same Bible the same God that our country was based on to give us liberty is the God that we worship today. And it doesn't matter if all of our government becomes pagan. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The truth that our nation was founded on is still true. And you're ready for this? Many of the founders were pagans too. God still did it. Don't let people lie to you. If somebody claims the name of Christ, but they're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life, they're lost. There's only saved people and lost people. There's no halfway. You're either in God's family or you're out of God's family. If you're in God's family, do you know what you are? You're a Christian. If you're not, do you know what you are? You're a pagan. If you're a pagan today, get saved. We want you in the family. Amen. Amen. Jesus died for you. He I can't believe you called me a pagan. I can't believe you want to be one. Get saved. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Come and enjoy the liberty that we have in Christ and the liberty that was the foundation for what we're doing here in America today. Remember, when you come into a problem, the God of history will help you. The history that they were trusting in in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 was being delivered from Egypt. The history that we have is the history of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, rising from the dead, 2,000 years of people believing what Jesus Christ did, and then 1776, a group of people who said, you know what, that liberty that God gave, we're going to live in that liberty in the United States. Hey, do we have a God of history? Amen. Praise His name. He's the God of history. And He's the God of heaven. He's the God of heaven. Do you know what that means? He is completely separate from the mess of the world. When the Bible talks, or, or when people talk about God as being transcendent, that means that He is above, that He can look 
and see everything at once. You know what that means? God knows about your problem. God knows where you are right now. Do you know what the cool thing about God of heaven is? His being transcendent. You ready for this? He's not only transcendent, he's imminent. Uh, I, I talked about some of our founders. How many of you have heard that some of the founders were deists? Deists. They were. Now, I understand some people try to argue against that, but they're just wrong. Some of our founders were deists. What is a deist? That is a person who believes in God, but they believe that God established the world and then stepped back, and he takes no concern. His hands are not involved in the affairs of men. All right? Now, that's just not, that's just not true. You all agree with that? That's what it means that God is imminent. If God was only transcendent, then that would be the position of the deists. He's above us. He's not concerned with us. But that's not the whole story. He's transcendent, but he's imminent. What does that mean? He's near. He's near. The Bible in Acts chapter 17, it talks about how, how every man is born of one blood. So it doesn't matter what your skin color. We all have the same blood. We're just people. And Jesus Christ died for all of us. Amen. And then the Bible says, still in Acts 17, that God ordered the, the bounds and the times of our habitation. Why? So that if you seek God, you can turn and find Him. Though He be not far from any one of us. What is that? That's the imminence of Jesus Christ. That's the imminence of God. Not only is He transcendent, He's above everything and greater than everything. He created all, and by Him all things consist... Not only that, but He's so near to us, all we have to do is turn to Him. Why is it that we have to turn? Because in our flesh, we're going away from Him. We have to turn to go toward Him. And He's right there. He's right there with us, the God of heaven. Who is it that we acknowledge? He's the God of history. He's the God of heaven. And I love it. According to the text, He's the God of the heathen. They don't know it. But he's their God. He is their God. I remember I heard uh, Curtis Hudson. Did anyone ever hear get, hear get to hear Curtis Hudson? He had these huge ears. And when he'd preach, he'd go like this. And it was kind of like Dumbo. You know, he'd go like that. But I heard him preach one time. And he said, um, it, it was on Lordship of Christ. And he was talking about how Jesus is just Lord. Whether or not you acknowledge him as Lord, he is Lord. He's the tadpole's Lord. He's the frog's Lord. He's the, the cat's Lord. He's the dog's Lord. He's the heathen's Lord. He's the Christian's Lord. He is Lord of all. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of the Father of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that He is the Lord. He's the Lord. But I want you to think about this. He's the Lord of the heathen. Those heathen nations, the Ammonites and the Moabites, what they didn't recognize is that He's their Lord. He's their Lord. And He can make them bow now or He can make them bow later. And ultimately, He stops them for His people because He is in charge. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. So, first of all, the first thing that you do when you have trouble is you acknowledge who God is. He's, he is the God of history. He's the God of heaven. He's the God of the heathen. And then, number two, acknowledge who you are. Wow, what a contrast, huh? Look at verse 12. O God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. 
the first thing you need to understand is that you're unworthy. Now, now, I think all of us have probably come to a point where we go to God and we say, demand of Him. I was watching a television show the other day where this son came in and demanded money from his father. I need this! Really? Go get a job. How many of you ever seen a child demand things of their parents? I want it! Remember, uh, what was the movie? Huh? Willy Wonka. Yeah. Buy it for me, Daddy. I want it, Daddy. I want it. I want it. I want it. That's the way that we go to God. God, I want this. Make me better. Make me better. Do it, Daddy. Do it, Daddy. Do it right now. I don't want to wait. I want it now. It's unbelievable. God's going to turn you into a grape. You're going to explode or something. Look. We don't deserve to be delivered. We're unworthy. Do you know what? Someone tell me, please, what do we deserve? Hell. We deserve hell. You know, we, we just do. The house, the house burns down, beats hell. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Our fireman was entertained by that right there. All right. Now, Acknowledge yet, we're unworthy. That's simply it. Then, we're completely helpless apart from Him. We have no might. I can't fix this. You're gotten into a situation, you say, I can't fix this. I can't fix this. You know, the little girl brings Daddy the doll and the heads come off because, probably because Brother took it off, right? And what does Daddy do? Daddy fixes the doll. The child gets cancer, and they bring the child to Daddy. Daddy can't fix that. We're helpless. We're helpless. We trust in the Lord. We're unworthy. Acknowledge who God is. Acknowledge who you are. Then, I love the second part. Number three. So number one, acknowledge who God is. Number two, acknowledge who you are. Number three, keep your eyes on Him. Look at verse 12 again, the second half. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon You know what our problem is? Many times, and this is what they were doing, the the, the people were looking at the enemy. Jehoshaphat was telling them, look at God. Look at God. What we do is we look at our troubles. We can't get our eyes off of the problem that's before us. Now look, we're people. That's what we do. When you're in pain, it's hard not to think about the pain. Right? That's why it has to be an act of the will through the Holy Spirit of God to look up. To look up. Keep your eyes on Him. Our eyes are upon Thee. Don't look at your troubles. Don't look at your neighbors. Look at Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And what is Jesus Christ doing at the right hand of the throne of God right now? He's making intercession for you and for me. Next Sunday, I'm going to preach a message that I've preached before. It's one of my favorites. It's the stream of the Spirit in the desert of our lives. When we're in trouble, what does prayer do? How do we go to the Lord? Well, Jesus Christ is our intercessor, the Holy Spirit of God. Then number four, number four, go to the house of God. Go to the house of God. Look at verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. So what do you do when you're in trouble? 
What do you what do you do? Go to the house of God. And now here's what you might be thinking. Well, that's the temple, and the temple doesn't exist. It's gone. But do you know what we believers understand? Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said? For, he, he said this. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I carry long, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, listen, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What are you supposed to do when you're in trouble? Go to church. Go to church. Now, how many of you have been in trouble and the last thing you want to do is go to church? You want to stay at home. You want to stay in your jammies. And you want to sit with your blanket and turn on television and just not be where you're supposed to be. There's two things that happen when you come to God's house. Number one, God's people are there. God's people are there. You know what happens when God's people are there? They will encourage you. And you ready for this? You'll encourage somebody else. You know there are times when you don't feel like going to church, but if you will, you're going to be a help to someone else. God's people are there. Number two, God's there. God's there. Now, is this building innately spiritual? No. No, who knows? It might be a you know, witch's coven somewhere down the road. Who knows? just a building what's the church it's the people it's the people and Jesus said where two or three are gathered in my name there am I in the midst of them and that was the congregation of the New Testament church that's what he's speaking of amen so when, when you're in trouble when you don't know what to do go to the house of God the church of God the pillar and ground of the truth you'll be encouraged there might be someone here today who didn't want to come. And what's happening is you're being encouraged that he's the God of history. He's the God of heaven. He's the God of the heathen. He's not only transcendent, but he's imminent. He loves you and he's powerful and he cares about you. And there's other people around you that are going through trouble too or that have been through trouble and God delivered them. You're not alone. Go to the house of God. God's people are there. God's there. His word is preached there. Then, number five, Number five, be sure your family sees where you go when you're in trouble. Do you, how many of you have ever had someone say this? You look just like your dad when you do that. You look just like your mom when you do that. And you go, oh, no. How many of it, have you ever had this happen? They say that to you, and it's something you really didn't like about your mom or your dad. Isn't that funny? Why? Because so much of who we are is caught and not taught. Here's what we think. We think that our children are oblivious to the problems in our home. They're not. They know when mom and dad are having trouble. They know when there's financial trouble. They, they know when there's sickness. They know... And they're also observing, what do mom and dad do when there's trouble? Let your kids see you go to the house of God. Look at what it says in verse 13. In verse 13. And all Judah stood before the Lord, look, with their little ones, their wives, and their children. 
Amen. You know, when we had our work day, we, we only had 16 and older here because, you know, there's too much going on. But those, those young men that were here, it was fantastic to watch them work. And it was good for them to be with the men. Amen? You know, mom's not there saying, oh, be careful. Oh, Johnny, oh, wash your hands. Right? There wasn't any of that. There was only Pastor Jim. Oh, be careful. Watch that. Don't touch that. It's just really good. And I'll tell you what, when you're in trouble, it's so good to pray as a family. It's so good for them to see you keep going. You know, you're, you're in trouble, you keep teaching your class. You're in trouble, you keep discipling. You're in trouble, you keep giving. You're in trouble, you stay faithful. You just keep going. You just keep going. Let you, be sure your family sees where you go when you're in trouble. We need to train our children to deal with adversity in the proper way. And we need to demonstrate to our children what we say we believe. Then, this is an interesting one. Listen to God's man. Listen to God's man. Look at verse 14. Then, upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeliel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite, of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and, all, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. What did the man of God need to do? The man of God needed to encourage the people, and the man of God needed to encourage the king. Don't look at the battle. Look at your God. Listen to the man of God. And if you have a man of God that you can't listen to, find another man of God. If you can't trust the pastor that God has given you, go to a church where you can trust that pastor so your children can see what you do when you're in trouble. It's so important. It's so important. God uses preaching to speak to people's hearts. You know where the pastor is so helpful when things get hard? He'll give you spiritual answers to the problems. You know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, to the pulling down of strongholds, the Bible says. Amen. There are spiritual answers to our problems. Look at verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall ye be established. Believe His prophets. So shall ye prosper. I know things look rough. I know the world looks like it's falling apart. Believe God. I know things are hard. Here's what God said. I know it looks like everything's going the wrong direction. Believe God's word. Hallelujah. It's a spiritual answer to a spiritual problem because all of our problems are ultimately sin problems. God has the answer. Then, then leave it in God's hands. Leave it in God's hands. Look at verse 17. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Look, 
Your, the, the power to win this victory is not in your hands. Be still. Let me fight for you. That's what God is saying. Let God fight for you. Do you know that Jesus Christ will still fight for you? You know that Holy Spirit of God will still make intercession for you. Why? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. Leave it in God, God's hands. Leaving it in God's hands, do you know what the first part of that is? That means to take yours off. I heard someone say years ago, that, how many of you have seen a picture of Jesus Christ being crucified? All right, now he's pro- he, I guarantee you he was not the effeminate man that many of the, the images are, but those nails through his hand. The Bible says, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that what the Bible says? I heard someone say this years ago. A crucified man can't hold on to things. You want to hold on to your problem. You want to hold on to your trouble. Well, look, if you're going to give it to God, that means you've got to take your hands off it. Lord, this is yours. This is yours. I can't fix this. This is yours. Then, don't just sit down. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Look at what the end of the verse says. For tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. They got to participate in it. Isn't it wonderful that God lets us participate in our own victory? That's awesome. That's awesome. Then, I love this. This this is probably my favorite part of this whole message. It's number seven. Sing and praise God. Listen. Sing and praise God for what He's going to do. Sing and praise God for what He's going to do. Look at verse 22. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. They began to sing and praise God. And what did God do? God destroyed their enemies. But they were singing and praising God before their enemies were destroyed. What is that? That's believing God ahead of time. That's praising God for what He's going to do. Even if it's not the victory that you wanted, it's praising Him for what He's going to do. Lord, we believe You. Lord, we trust You. Lord, we have confidence in You. We are. Here's McLaren said this, We are most likely to conquer if we lift up the voice of thanks for victory in advance and go into the battle expecting to triumph because we trust in God. I think of the Apostle Paul when he was shipwrecked there in um, uh, Acts chapter 27. And remember they put out four anchors and they lost all hope of whether they'd be saved, that they would be saved. And so the Apostle Paul stood up in the midst of them and he said, Sirs, I believe God. I believe God. God needs Christians who believe in Him. This Old Testament story, God wanted the the people of Judah to believe in Him. Do you know what God wants His church to do today? Believe in Him. Believe in Him. Then, number nine, take possession of the promised blessing. Take possession of the promised blessing. Look at verse 25. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And there were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. Now, i got to tell you, I know there are probably some sensitive people that are thinking, among the dead bodies? Really? Bodies? That's not a good, happy story. There are no bodies in happy stories. Look, this was a real battle. People died. Who died? The enemies of God's people. You know what they should have been? The friends of God's people. 
you know what would have happened if they were the friends of God's people? They would not have died. Funny how that works, right? You're on God's side and you live, or you're, on, you're not on God's side and you die. Do you know that that's still true? That's still true. If you want to have eternal life, believe what God said about eternal life. If you want to die and go to hell and spend eternally, eternity in torment away from God, then don't do what God says. Either be a friend of God and His people or be an enemy of God and His work. It's your choice. It's always been the same. Amen? This is real. This is life and death. But I like this. I love the way it says at the end of the verse. Uh, there were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. Do you realize what God wants to do for you? It's so much. It's so much. Believe Him. Believe Him. Take possession of the promised blessing. Then, last, if we'll do this, then the world will fear the Lord and we will find rest. Look at verse 29. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So, the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet. For his God gave him rest round about. What do you do when you don't know what to do? God's already given you the answer. God's given you the answer. And when you live according to God's principles, as you go through trouble, you know what happens? The people around you will fear your Lord, come to know him. And you'll have rest. You'll have rest. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Lord, we're so thankful.